0: With Dr. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Holakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310441. 0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or instagram or like my page on facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my soundcloud page and free podcast on itunes again the studio number 310 before i do the summary for the book for the past week I wanted to announce the book for this week which i'll talk about it on next week's show monday night and that is the brain, the story of you by David Eagleman, the brain, the story of you, David Eagleman. And I started the book a little bit and is starting off with an overview of the brain, but also trying to understand our brain and, and things like our thinking, feelings, feelings and uh, beliefs a little bit more deeply, at least that's what I gather. I haven't read the book before, so it's a first read for me. So I can't give a recommendation that it's a great book, but it does seem interesting so far. So I hope you'll join me in reading that book, The Brain, The Story of You by David Eagleman to talk about it next week. But let's start with the book for this past week that I'll talk about tonight. And that book was Mind Wise by Nicholas Epley. Mind wise, why we misunderstand what others think, believe, feel, and want. And I really did enjoy reading this book. It was a relatively quicker read, but had lots of good information and made a lot of points um, that I really uh, thought were meaningful and important. So I hope you will read this book if you haven't already, but I'll talk a bit about it today. Uh, I've done a lot of books that looked at limitations that we have as humans. I mentioned this last week and I think sometimes people think that that can be maybe disheartening or discouraging, or why should we look at the limits of who we are or what we can do. But by understanding our limits, we can make it that uh, certain limits or weaknesses that we have don't hurt us as much as they can, or they will, unless we have that awareness. So when you know something is your weakness, you know, you have a bad knee, you'll avoid doing things that will, um, hurt it worse or that will make you fall on your face or make mistakes. Similarly, we want to learn about the weaknesses of the ways we think and see the world so that we don't make or allow those weaknesses to make us fall on our face and cause more pain. So by knowing our weaknesses, it's actually a big strength. And this book did a lot of that. Now, he starts off talking about how this sense, he calls it our sixth sense, which is mind reading and mind reading, he doesn't be, mean having some kind of uh, clairvoyance or that you are a psychic, but that the way each of us throughout our days and every interaction we have are trying and uh times time succeeding in understanding and reading the minds of other people. Again, you see someone do something and you have an understanding of maybe why they might have done that. Or when you're communicating with someone, you can get them to feel how you feel and communicate a lot through this process of what he calls mind reading. So if I use that term again, uh, it doesn't mean that you're able to read minds in the way that we usually use it, but the way that we use our sixth sense, as he puts it, of getting information from other people without them explicitly telling us, that's what we call, or he's calling mind reading. And he says it's incredible how good we are at it. And actually two or three-year-olds basically perform better than adult chimpanzees already. So humans were very good at understanding other people. And he says that is an incredible thing, but at the same time, as good as this sixth sense is, it actually has a lot of areas where it can lead us astray, where we can make mistakes of judgment based on what we think we're seeing. And he goes through chapter by chapter, uh, looking at different aspects of this problem or different ways maybe we make these types of Mistakes. And so the problem is, or one of the biggest issues overall, is that we're very overconfident in our ability to read other people, especially those close to us. And he talks about some studies where they look at husbands and wives or close friends, and people think they're going to be so good at reading each other. And probably any of you listening thinks that too. But it turns out we're not all that great at it. So the first thing overall is to keep in mind as good as you think we can be and we are at using this sense of reading other people, no matter who you are, having some humility and recognizing that it's actually not as good as you might think it would be or hope that it would be, is, a, is something that can help you not make as many mistakes. For example, this actually relates to what I talked about in last week's book, The Confidence Game. People think they are much better than they actually are at reading people's lies, that they can tell if someone is lying or not and it turns out they were people are almost about 50% accurate not much better than guessing or flipping a coin at guessing if someone else is lying or not so as good as we are at trying to understand other people this sense has lots of areas of weakness if so we have to make sure we're not overconfident but we're talking about other people and then in chapter 2 he talks about actually you know, forget other people. You're not as good as you think about reading your own mind, which can sound kind of strange because, well, you're in your own head. How could I not understand myself? But it, although we think since I have access to my own brain and mind, I can always know what I'm thinking or feeling or why I'm thinking or feeling these things, it turns out not to be true. And as a therapist, I can definitely agree with this notion. People come in and they think they know why they're doing what they're doing, why they feel what they feel, but it turns out that most of that is out of their conscious awareness. And so you can maybe tell me what you think or feel, and even some people have a hard time with that, but the what you can do, but the why is very difficult. But what people actually do is we come up with reasons for the why after we come to that feeling or thought but it's just something we essentially make wake up. So I say, well, why are you upset? And people very often will give self-serving stories, right? So maybe someone is offended and you said something that offended them and they say, no, I just don't like people, you know, being too loud and saying things and disrespecting other people. So I have to say something because that feels better than saying, oh, I kind of got hurt by what you said. And sometimes they might be aware of it, and sometimes they may not. Jonathan Haidt does a lot of research looking at how we make moral decisions, and although we think it's based on logic and reasoning and critical thinking, it turns out that a lot of our moral judgments and thinking comes from feelings. You hear about a situation or scenario, and you have an emotional reaction, and then we become our best lawyers for ourselves and come up with all the reasons as to why we think way we do. Really, we feel about moral things more than we think about them, at least initially. So here we see, and he outlines it very clearly in chapter two, that you actually don't know yourself as well as you do. So um, how can you really know other people so well if you actually don't know yourself? So that's something very important to keep in mind. We're not even that good at knowing ourselves. And if you can't really fully know yourself, how can we expect to know someone else he also talks about ways that we don't engage our ability to use our sixth sense of reading other people's minds or understanding other people one is that we dehumanize sometimes we see people as less than human i mentioned how unfortunately many people view a homeless population as less than human in some way so we don't think that they even feel and think the way that you and i do of course Uh, They are you and I, but we tend to think of people as very different from us, and we might even dehumanize them when that's not at all the case. He also talks about a study how it showed that managers think that they themselves are intrinsically motivated, but that their employees are motivated extrinsically by things like praise and money. But it turns out that's not the case. Most people are actually the same. So a lot of us do this. We think we're somehow better Uh, We're thinking about things in a more moral way and other people are worse, but really we're much more similar than we actually think. He also talks about times where we use our mind reading ability when it doesn't exist. We're very good at seeing minds even when they are not there. For example, your car doesn't work and you might say, oh, my car up, she's acting up again. And although it kind of sounds like a joke or we're saying it in a joking way, it does reflect how we actually do anthropomorphize or we basically bring something that's that uh, does not have a mind and give it a human-like quality. Even actually, he talks about how lots of cars, if you think about it, they look like a face from the front, or we see a face even though it's not there. You can see the two eyes in the grill kind of looks like a mouth or a nose, and we see a face, and we're actually very good at seeing faces when they don't exist. I can look right now at an electrical outlet, and if you look at it, it kind of looks like a guy with two eyes and... Uh, kind of a circle mouth, when really it's just those shapes, but we see people uh, into things. We see people when they don't actually exist. So we use our sense of reading minds when we really shouldn't. Your car is acting up, there's some kind of mechanical issue, but we somehow give it a human-like feeling. And he talks about how we tend to um, give this feeling that something has a mind when it's not working properly. So if it works every time, no one thinks it has a mind, but when it starts quote unquote acting up, all of a sudden people think, yeah, it has this personality of its own, when of course it does not. Now, what are some reasons why we are bad at understanding other or reading their minds? Well, the first one is what he calls the trouble of getting over yourself. So unfortunately, we have a very hard time seeing things through someone else's eyes, even though we think we can. We try, we say, oh, okay, if I was that person, I would do this, or that's why they are thinking this way, when in fact, it's not true. Or when we know something, it's very hard to unknow that thing. And that's something called the curse of knowledge, which might sound a little funny, because of course, we usually think of knowledge as a good thing. But in this sense, we're talking about how when we know something, it's so hard to unknow that thing. So for example, there's this, there's this famous study where people tap out a song and they know what song they're doing, but they think it's so obvious to the other person what song it is when in fact it just sounds like a series of, of taps. But in your own mind, you can hear the song and you imagine the other person's mind, it's obvious as well when it actually is not the case. Another way that this comes up very commonly is in types of communication like texting. So two people are texting and they think they know exactly the context. And uh, let's say, for example, if someone is using sarcasm, they think the other person is going to pick it up, but they actually miss it very often. And this is why a lot of people end up fighting when they start texting because they said, oh, you were being so mean and you said it this way. And they're like, no, I wasn't being mean. I actually meant good luck. And they thought they were saying good luck, like you don't have a chance, but they really meant it in a good way. Now what makes this even worse is that Both members tend to be more confident. They did research on this and the person who is, let's say, being sarcastic or being serious, thinks it's going to be very clear to the other person and the person interpreting it thinks they're good at interpreting it. They're like, oh, I can tell between sarcasm and if someone is being serious, but in fact, they're not very good at it at all. So this leads to miscommunication with both sides, thinking they know the quote unquote truth of what was going on with both people being off. So we have a very hard time actually being in someone else's shoes or seeing things from another perspective. Another issue we have in mind reading or understanding other people is that we use and abuse stereotypes. And he goes through a lot of different ones, but one that I found very interesting is that he says there's a common stereotype, and I'm sure most of you would agree to it or at least aware of it, that women are more emotional than men. And then as he says, we think we can see the evidence for it everywhere we look. Women smile more or cry more and laugh more than men. So it just seems to be true. Now, when you ask people, you might even seem to get this kind of data that reflects that women are quote unquote more emotional than men. But the good news is that we can measure emotional experiences because they also have physiological responses. So we can do things like measuring heart rate or your skin because when you get anxious or have some feelings you might um, have your sweat glands open up and we can see how emotional or what someone is actually feeling and when they did that research they found that men and women watching the same emotional scenes showed the same emotional reactions and on average of the same intensity so this idea that women are more emotional And men is really that women are expressing their emotion more than men, not that they're feeling more emotion than men, which of course comes back to to what society uh, deems is acceptable or unacceptable for men and women to feel. We say boys don't cry, but we don't give that same advice to girls when really boys cry, girls cry, women cry, and men should cry. But we don't give everyone that same freedom and flexibility to express their emotions in that way. And as a result, we think, oh, women are more emotional than men just by who they are. When in fact, it's not true. And most research shows that different groups are much more similar than they are dissimilar. But usually when the research is reported, they focus on the dissimilar, the parts that make them different. And that makes us exaggerate or think that these things are bigger than they actually are. All in all, we're much more similar than we are different. Even women and men, uh, we like to say women, you know, there's that book, women are from Venus, men are from Mars, but really, it's not the case. We're a lot more similar than we actually might think. Or sometimes even we think research is telling us, but the focus is on the dissimilarities rather than the similar. So very often we use stereotypes inappropriately and we think they hold a lot more truth than they do. And then we use them to define or describe what someone is doing when really that's not the case. Even incredibly when you just mention or have someone think about a stereotype, it can affect their behavior. So if women have to write on a test female before they start taking the test and it's a math test, because there's a stereotype that women are worse than math, their performance goes down. It's really quite incredible. You can read the research on what they call stereotype threat stereotype threat, a very interesting phenomenon that shows this. Now, I won't talk about some of the other things he mentions, but I'll get to what he talks about at the end of the book, which is essentially his advice. So knowing all this, the ways, uh, the pitfalls that we have in our thinking and trying to understand other people, well, what can we do with that? And what he says is, you know, very often we are asked to take someone else's perspective to try to understand where they're coming from. And if you have no other choice, maybe that's not bad, but he says that research shows that we don't do very good at this. But rather than trying to take someone's perspective, he says we should get someone else's perspective. And what that means is that you ask someone what they think or what they feel. Again, don't ask them about the why. You can try to explore the why, but people don't know, just like you might not know the why very well. But the what you can get at and you can ask them. So ask them, but also keep in mind you have to create the space for them to be open and honest with you. So if I ask you, what did you do yesterday? And then once you tell me, I yell at you for an hour, well, you might not want to tell me the next time, just like sometimes parents do with their kids or partners do with each other. But if you create that space where someone can be open, then they can themselves tell you. So basically his advice is as good as we can be at reading each other's minds. Um, again, not in the psychic type of way, but understanding each other, there are still lots of holes in that understanding and how good we are at it. And as a result, rather than trying to assume we know, because we know we can be overconfident or trying to just guess or use intuition, ask one another, what do you feel? What do you think? And really try to understand them by letting them tell you what they think or feel rather than trying to guess it. So this book, Mindwise, by Nicholas Epley, i highly recommend it. Again, a pretty quick read and a lot of good information in it to help you better understand yourself and other people and why you sometimes think you understand yourself and other people better than you actually do. And again, the book for this week, The Brain, The Story of You by D- David Eagleman. And I'll talk about that next week. We're at our first commercial break, studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talaqui. back let's go to a caller radio Hamra. you're on the air yes,
1: doctor yes hi I,
0: thank you for calling
1: I, um uh, I, I just i just listened to like but a couple of minutes about that your book that mm-hmm. you were talking about mm-hmm. and it kind of something came across my mind just want to kind of make a comment and then i have a question okay the comment i'd like to make is uh it's Specifically for us, the generation that, uh, like me, that we came from another culture to the United States. I, I've been here almost 30 years. I came here when I was 19 years old. Uh, so I, w- I was born in Iran. I'm Armenian. Uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is uh, when you say when you try to read somebody's mind and you, and instead of trying to assume what they think and what they feel, you should ask them. Mm-hmm. Uh in American culture I think that works really well uh, but I think in our culture it's a little different mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying it's good I'm just saying that we as a, as a kid when we fall down and say don't cry mm-hmm. you know be, be strong whatever uh, I'm, I'm just talking about I guess more like Eastern kind of a culture versus Western not America versus Iran but overall so Part of us, part, I'm going to talk about me, because I don't want to generalize it. Part, part of me, um, I'm from Iranian culture, and mm-hmm. it's kind of embedded in me. But I really know what the right thing to do is, which is, I don't want to say American way, but the way that you're talking about, more communication, understanding, and so on and so forth. Uh, the difficulty that I have, personally, it's, it's difficult to find a very, very good balance between... American way versus Iranian way, or Armenian way in this case, which, when somebody, you actually ask them, even you ask them straight out, you say, how do you feel, whatever, you, you try to do the right thing. Even what they tell you is not exactly what they feel. They, there's always this hesitation uh, to, I'm not saying to say the right thing, but mm-hmm. they, they want to say the right thing that they think it fits. And it would
0: work right. rather than what the right thing is. No, you're absolutely right. You know, you know, there's a lot in what you said that I think is important. One is uh, culture is very important, and anytime we look at psychology, we have to keep culture in mind. That it's not always going to be one size fits all, and we have to be where there can be sure. some some differences. Uh, and even culture itself, sometimes we think of it as something untouchable, and we have to be very careful. When I was in graduate school, we took a lot of classes on cultural sensitivity, or actually, in every class. We had an element of that. We had to focus on being sensitive to culture. And sometimes people think, well, we should never say anything about uh, anyone else's culture. And I'm all about respecting uh, culture. But at the same time, what to me is important is looking at, are there some things within the culture that are hurting people? And if it's hurting the people, then I think we have to really look at it and not think of it as untouchable. So, for example, in Middle Eastern cultures and Persian and, let's say, Armenian culture, we do have this tendency that... You're supposed to hide things, hold things in, don't express your pain, don't say something's bothering you, show a good face, make sure your family's not ashamed or embarrassed by you because you say or did something, so don't be yourself, hold things in. And to me, those things are harmful and actually hurt people. Or we keep things taboo, don't talk about certain things, and then people suffer in silence, and that leads to huge pain. I think we definitely have to evaluate those things and change them. And what you're bringing up relates to something he talks about in the book where he says uh, you know, if you're going to ask someone what they're thinking or feeling, you have to create the comfort and safety for them to tell you what they think or feel. And he was talking on the individual level, but what you're bringing up is that on the cultural level that exists as well, where we don't make it okay for people to feel or talk about what they're thinking or feeling, then people don't have that safety to express themselves. And so you might ask them, but you might not get a genuine response, not because people are bad or liars, but because it's part yes, of the yes. cultural pressure that they have to keep certain things in. So I think that's a great point.
1: Yeah, my, basically my, my point was that on, on top of that, I think it's a little more difficult for my uh, and your generation, I think. It also applies because if, if I was born in Iran 300 years ago or 200 years mm-hmm. ago, Things haven't changed as far as from generation to generation, but I think our generation that migrated from a different country and you came to a different country, and a lot of things that you thought it was 100% correct because it was cultural, and then now you realize that not so much. Mm-hmm. Because, and But the thing is, there is a mixture of it here. The people that you try to communicate with are still attached to that culture, and you come across as... I'm not saying rude, but in a way that you're not supposed to be challenging that. You're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be asking that. And you're saying, but that's not right, because uh, if—I don't want to bring religion to this, but if a Bible or any other book that is written, but people think it's, you know, the Bible, you you can't challenge it. And you say, why not? It's it's, it's a book. I I should be able to say— what's right and what's wrong. I might be wrong, but at least I, I can speak my mind and I can challenge it, and that's how you grow. Mm-hmm. But my, my point is our generation or my generation, I should say, it has more difficulty because I'm, I'm in between kind of things. So now I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. At the same time, I'm trying to not to be uh, too aggressive about it, that it would cause problems in the marriage or what relatives and so on and so forth. So that was my point.
0: Yeah, right. And so we always have, every generation is going to deal with, or every generations when we look at parents and their kids, are going to deal with intergenerational conflict. That's always going to be there. Uh, And then on top of that, what you're talking about is when we have the bicultural aspect of it. So you have your Iranian or Armenian culture, but then you also have the American culture, and also, they're not just two separate things. They even can blend. And sometimes we create mixtures of the cultures. It's not just these black sure. and white type of things. And it becomes very complicated to navigate within that. Um, and I did a seminar a while ago on biculturalism with my father. And we did, you know, it was the generation gap, gap and the cultural gap. And even sure. we, you know, demonstrated that, that he was speaking in Farsi and I was speaking in English. So it itself was illustrating that point. But you're right. It is a challenge both within dealing, you know, there's a few levels of this. If we look at acculturation and what you're talking about, you have to deal with it on a cultural level or a society. So, when you're interacting with society, like you said, how to interact with people, how to understand your culture and their culture, and all the varieties of that. Then, also at the family level, as you mentioned, we have to figure that out and how do I interact with them, be true to myself. But then there's even a third level, which is within ourselves. And that's actually can be very challenging for people, and they go through a lot of processes dealing with their cultural identity. Who am I? Who do I want to be? Um, for example, people that are bicultural, very often they deal with this issue of not relating to either group fully. You're not fully Persian. You're not fully American. You're somewhere in between, and then they don't know which one they want to be or who they want to be. Who am I? So it can lead to identity crisis and lots of different issues and figuring out, uh, you know, wh- who am I? I? And even in hearing you talk, I hear that. And if you were born in some culture and you were, you know, just believed what the people before you believed, you don't have that conflict. You just internalize what they believed and did and do those same things. But you're dealing with this issue of having several different types of ideas and cultures that you're exposed to. And you have to try to figure out which one is most true to you, which with freedom comes a challenge. And that's what you're given.
1: that's basically my point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the the book that you're referring to and and I only, unfortunately, I only got like a couple of minutes at the end that you're talking about it, but I can kind of get an idea what the book is about, but uh, at the same time, I'm thinking like, okay uh, whatever you say exactly makes sense, but there's so many factors involved Mm -hmm. in this thing that when you put yourself as an individual, which I did in my case, I'm thinking, okay uh, yeah, uh, based on what, what the writer is saying it make perfect sense of everything. But you know what? certain times, it's not gonna work for me. I'm not you know if if i if I want to go ahead and apply exactly what the book the writer is saying, a certain situation, it it comes across as uh, become the black ship.
0: Well sure it can be that. And you know and I'll tell you the book and I know you said you got the end of it. He's actually one of his main points is that we're so we're not very good or we think we're much better than we are at understanding or reading each other's minds and understanding them that actually the best thing we can do is to ask but Um, It doesn't mean that that's going to solve all the problems we have or that's going to make everything easy. Because even, you know, and I think it's so interesting, and I'll reiterate that point I made in the first segment that he talks about. We actually even aren't that good at knowing ourselves, especially the why. So you can tell me what you think or what you did, but if I ask you why, I'm not going to be very confident in that answer. And actually, it might sound strange, but even you shouldn't be that confident in that answer. Not because you necessarily want to lie, but because it's hard for us to know Ourselves. So, you know, yeah, we can't just go up to everyone in every moment and ask them. That actually can become intrusive too. So there is a balance. And uh, I don't think he was suggesting that anytime you want, ask anyone anything you want. But if it's something important, for example, if you're in a relationship, rather than assuming what your spouse is thinking or feeling, ask them and try to create a space where they can honestly answer you, which depends on, you know, how you respond to them and all of those things. But Yes, with some people, when you directly ask them, and in some cultures, sometimes, for example, in the Middle Eastern culture, if you're asking someone who's older than you, they might look at that as a negative thing to directly ask them something yeah, in a way. I, they could take that as you, rude. You
1: come across as very offensive, mm-hmm. right? because in a certain cultures, uh, including us, uh, supposedly the older one should have much more... Respect than the younger one.
0: That's right. Uh, yeah. Even
1: even even if they're a couple of years older, they're always going to be a couple of years older. It to be both ways. But if if you if you they they feel like they 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 feel like they're being challenged, and mm-hmm. they they don't like that. And uh, it it for me especially, because I'm the type, I'm the youngest in my family. Uh, I got three sisters and two brothers older than me. But uh, I, I, when I was brought up, I, I was very quiet. And, but when I came to United States, I, I pretty much grew up here. There's a lot of things that you would think it's selfish in our culture. And you thinking that this is this is my right? I, I have to respect myself too. I can't I can't put myself in a situation that I shouldn't say this or I shouldn't do that because somebody's going to get hurt and somebody's not going to like it. And then what you happen is you're disrespecting you more than anybody else, mm-hmm. which means you don't identify yourself with who you are and what you want to be so you don't grow i mean that's a different subject but anyway sure. I don't want to too much sure no no that's uh, probably
0: that's a good point I'm, I'm glad you brought that up we're actually at a commercial break i, I you, th- you said you had a question i don't know if that's the one you yes, already brought up hi. or did you have something else uh no i, I have a question okay so. just hang on the line and we'll bring you on after the break okay all right you're listening to in session with dr De alakwi we'll be right back Welcome back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to him hello caller are you still there i'm here all right so uh, you said you had a question that you didn't get to before the break yes, let's hear uh,
1: it uh, uh, i apologize in advance it's, it's probably not a question for you but <laughs> I, I i it's a little bit off the subject um, la- last friday i was listening to uh jale and you know, on Friday, she, she had a different subject, and she asked some questions. And uh, she, she had a question. Uh, I'm going to try to make it really quick.
0: Uh, now, let me, you before can... you start, uh, you know, I'm always going to be careful when we talk about someone else's show or program, especially I didn't hear it. Um, so oh. it's possible that I won't get into it in, in depth. I might stop you, depending on what direction it goes. I just want to give you that oh, warning no problem, before no you start. No, no, no. The question
1: was, uh, the, there are two pills you can take. One. You would feel uh, you will forget about all your first love that you never got a chance to marry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the second one was the second pill is you hate something or some somebody so much and uh, in the past, and you take this pill, then you're gonna forget all about it. Mm. And she was asking, which pill would you take? <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people were calling and saying that they don't want to take any pills. Uh-huh. And she was really surprised about that, uh, thinking what, she, she said, "I don't really understand why people don't want to take the hate pill, which means you're gonna forget about all that bad feelings that you had towards somebody or something. And why don't you want to take the pill? And the reason I'm calling now, with the question for you also, because your, your dad supposedly walked in, walked in, and he, he was kind of making the same comment, saying that uh, not on the on the online, uh, on the radio." But talking to, to Jale, saying that Dr. Velakuri also thinking, I don't really understand why people don't want to take the eight pill to forget about the the bad feelings that they had, and why are they holding on to the bad feelings? Mm-hmm. The, the, one question that came up to my mind that I was going to ask uh, Jale, which I didn't get a chance. I just I figured I'll ask you to see how how you feel about it. Okay. If if there is a pill that you can take today, and it would uh, make uh, make you feel no harm, no disappointment, no no bad feelings in any any shape or form from now on until the rest <laughs> of your life.
0: I wouldn't uh, even think about it. I, w- I would say no.
1: Yeah, I would say yeah. So that was
0: that yeah. was.
1: The thing I was trying to say because she. she I mean it's not a jale like or what. I'm just trying to kind of explore this a little bit <laughs> more because talking about the past and saying it happened and I'm gonna take the pill. I'm gonna forget all about it. It's okay, and she was all for it in a way, and I think your dad was too, saying that why don't you want to cure your uh, bad feelings in a way? Wash it off. You don't have to worry about it. Why are you holding on to something? Uh, And and I thought about, and I said, you know what, I want to live my life, and I want to be able to deal with bad things and good things and basically live with the challenge of life itself. Obviously, it's a hypothetical question. I understand Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. But my point was, if you look at it that way, and you can say, why don't I just take a pill so I would not feel any harm whatsoever so I would always be happy, I would always be successful, I would always be all that. I'm thinking... What kind of life would that right. be? Right. You know, so. Nowhere, you know I mean? Yeah, <laughs> no, well,
0: you know, and I don't want to comment on, and I obviously didn't hear what no, they no, said. And so I'll say just my own thoughts on what you said. And no, even. I'm, not, I'm asking you. I'm sure. Asking well, yeah, I'm well, because, no, and yeah, I'm, I'm, to me, you know, those things, and first of all, you, you as you mentioned, they are hypothetical because these things are hard. To sure. really, what does it mean when we say, because it becomes so complicated. Well, if, if we're talking sure. about you forget the whole person ever existed, well, then what about people associated with that person? And, you know, I won't get into those details. It's very complex. It's very hypothetical. But um, I do think there is something very important to be said about something else. When you at the question you asked me, which was even a different idea of the pill that takes away all your quote unquote negative feelings And uh, you know, yeah. yeah. To me, that's a very—it's actually a very dangerous thing. But a lot of people want that. And I've talked before on the show about this danger that we have, especially in the Western world, about this obsession with happiness and almost forcing ourselves to be happy or forcing ourselves to to pretend like we're happy, even if we're not. It actually relates to what you mentioned in the last segment about culture. In the Iranian culture, we do that, but also now it's becoming, I think, a very common American thing that you have to say you're always happy, and if you're not saying that, you're "quote unquote" being negative or you're choosing to be unhappy, and all these different things. What we know is that our negative emotions, the ones, again, we call them negative because they don't feel good uh, in the moment, they're telling us something. And so the analogy we can use is that, um, you know, if I gave you that same type of pill and said you would never feel pain again in your life, And you might think that's a good thing it's actually a very dangerous thing because you wouldn't know that if for example you have this very strong pain in your back maybe something's going on and you need to change your behavior or have some kind of intervention or treatment to help you so not feeling the pain you're actually lacking information that you need similarly uh, in your relationships for example you might feel pain or something happens that hurts you or angers you and if you don't understand it Uh, then you're not actually going to be able to use that information. So our emotions are very good and beautiful, and they actually give our life a lot of uh, what makes it worth living by giving us those ups and downs, or else we can ask to numb ourselves, and many people do, using drugs, alcohol, food, sex, whatever it might be. They don't want to feel anything, any of those feelings, but that's an escape and not a solution, Uh, it's just a way of trying to get away from something, so we actually, yes, we have to yeah, face okay. those things head on, face the negative feelings head on, and recognize that they are information and they can teach us rather than seeing with something that if I can remove them, I should remove them, or you know, somehow even surgically remove them or with a pill remove them. That's not the goal, in my opinion, and even from a past relationship, um, you should learn a lot and there should be a lot that you learned and gained from it that uh is telling you something and if you can't even forget it maybe it's telling you something or if you hate someone to use those the other analogy um you want to understand why do I hate this person? For example, one of the main reasons or one of the big reasons we hate people is actually we see something in them that we ourselves have. So by me actually just eliminating the way I feel about that person, I could be missing a big opportunity to learn more about myself. Or if the person did something that hurt us, maybe from that experience, not that we become, you know, traumatized and avoid anyone like that person, but we can recognize what happened to us and learn from it to not allow it to happen to ourselves again. So, you know, it's very complicated, these things again, because what does it mean to forget something? But. That's the way I see it. I, you know, it, uh, to me, yeah, there's there a lot more. Go, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I basically, I, anyways, I just, I know it's, it's, when it comes to humans, it's, it's it's almost infinite number of factors involved, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. Is, it makes it almost impossible to fully understand. Which, uh, which doesn't mean that we should not try to understand more and more about it. My 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 point was the the fact that it got my attention in a way because uh, your your dad kind of was leaning towards that too because saying. I didn't hear him talk, but based on what Jolly was saying, saying that Dr. also is thinking why people don't want to get rid of that hate. But there's one more point I want to make before uh, I go It's been too long, I guess. No, talking, that's but, fine. Yeah, my, my, my point was this. H- hating someone, I guess hate is kind of an extreme word to mm-hmm, say. But is. Let, let's say somebody is a bad person and he did something wrong or whatever. Uh, I think it's, it, it's okay for me not to like the guy. It's okay for me even to hate the person because of who he is and what he has done, but the the point I'm, I'm trying to make is that's not bad because if I like the guy even though he did something wrong, there's something wrong with me for me liking him. You, you see my point?
0: <laughs> I, so, I do. I mean I think definitely you know most issues are way very complex because even like yeah. I was gonna stop you and said if he's a he's a bad person because. You know, usually I don't think of almost anyone as bad or fully good, no, you know, we're probably, all our, but but, yeah. but you're right. If someone so does something know, that hurts you, you know, or does something really bad to you to like them for that would be would be a, probably a mistake. and wouldn't be a good thing. So, you know, to understand them better uh, is is a good thing. So I think, you know, these things they have. I think one, one of the things also rubs me the wrong way. It becomes kind of an artificial thing where it's like we're removing something and it's hard to understand what that means. And you're missing part of your own life in okay. that way. Uh, But these things are more, I think, obviously, people don't really think it's going to happen, but to think about, it's like a thought experiment and thinking things out and what would you want to do or not want to do. And sometimes it can be very telling about the way we think about things or we view things. Um, But I think a big message and something that you said that to me is very important is this understanding that we shouldn't just think we're always supposed to be happy. And if yeah. we're not, something is wrong. And if you could remove that sad feeling, then you should at any, essentially any cost or whatever you have to do. That it's important to be in touch with all of those things and understand them. Know that our feelings come and go like the waves of an ocean. And if you try to hold on to the wave or to try to push it away, you can't do either one. And you have to just accept yeah, yeah. they're going to come and go and have that understanding of how your emotions are going to go
1: get uh, just uh, sorry it took too long but, no no uh, I, there, thanks there, for there, calling uh, yeah i just wanted to kind of uh, I, I, I like I, I don't get a chance to listen to you very often but uh, whenever I'm in the car I actually pulled over for the last half an hour <laughs> uh, but uh, great uh, well i appreciate you down,
0: listening down. appreciate you calling thank you thank you sir all right okay. have a wonderful night take care You too. bye bye All right, we're getting close to the end of the show. So again, the book for this past week that he mentioned was MindWise, but I hope you'll join me in reading the next book, which is for this week, The Brain, The Story of You by David Eagleman. And in the past, people have recommended books and I have um, included them on the books of the week. So if you have a book in mind, you can go to my Twitter page, uh, my Facebook or my Instagram, and you can send me a message or send me a picture of the book so that maybe I can recommend it and read it Myself, I'm always open to that. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and to that caller and everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Hope you have a wonderful night.